Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 32. We're joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, John. I want to make sure our listeners know we are VMware solution engineers looking to bring the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. Hopefully our career discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. How's it going? It's uh, spring as we're recording this and the Bay Area has record pollen levels. Is that a problem for you in Texas? Oh, yeah. It's pretty rough, especially with the weather fluctuations that happen in Texas. You know, we thought it was winter, and then we thought it was spring, and we thought it was winter, and we're kind of in that period where you might have to turn on the heater in the early morning time, but it's probably going to go to the air conditioner in the afternoon. That tends to mess with people's allergies, sinus, all over the place. I hear you. We took the uh, the heated blanket off of our bed and we thought it was done for the season and then we had like a week there where it was uh, pretty chilly and then yeah. it's hot as we go to bed and chilly in the morning when you say chilly are we talking like 65 degrees is that accurate or Ooh, i mean not that cold it's like maybe 68 oh okay fair point yeah west coast life <laughs> no no it's down to the 50s okay i'll give you that now, we're talking to Tony Reeves of the GigaCast this week, right? Is that accurate? Yes, indeed. Uh, I first met Tony at VMworld uh, US in Vegas in 2016, and it's uh, pretty exciting to have him here on the Nerd Journey podcast to talk about his career path, um, how he got started. It was a story that I didn't really know, so it was interesting to hear. And uh, actually, I think we're going to be making this a two-parter, right? Absolutely. We talked to him for quite a while, and we couldn't capture all that goodness in just one episode. In the first part, we're going to discuss his career journey and lessons learned. All right. Well, let's get right into our discussion with Tony Reeves. And we're joined by Tony Reeves. Hey, Tony, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Hey, out of the gate, um, can you tell us about the GigaCast podcast, uh, how you got started in that? Sure. Um, a longtime friend of mine, Britton Johnson, and I, we both happen to be in the IT industry. And it's been a couple of years now since we started it. But back in 2017, he had kind of approached me and said, would you be interested in starting a podcast with me? And we kind of approached it. It was a little nerve wracking at first, as I'm sure you guys can relate, starting a, a podcast. Um, but it was something that we wanted to kind of get more of the small, medium business voice out there. We, we saw a lot of real high-level uh, enterprise products that were being talked about at VMworld that were extremely cool, but may not necessarily resonate with some of the smaller companies that don't have budget to apply some of those really large-scale technologies. So we just kind of got together and decided to just start talking about some of the products and going through some of the products. Um, we expanded that format out a little bit. It was just Britton and I at first, and we expand that out to include some guests. So it's been pretty positively received out in the uh, community. So we're pretty happy with how it's going. Yeah, I definitely enjoy listening to it. So I encourage uh, anybody who's out there who hasn't listened to the GigaCast to 
to subscribe and, and go through the back catalog. There's a 20 something episodes. Is that right? Yeah. I think we're on episode 24, 25 now getting up there. So you wow. can subscribe on iTunes. It's on the Google play store and um, we're working on redoing a website, but you can listen to it on the uh, gigabrit.com website as well. Oh, okay. Very cool. Well, let's jump into your career overview. Um, can you give us a sense of how your career has evolved? Like, I don't know, out of school, like even maybe starting with how you got involved with technology at all? Sure. I've kind of always been a gadget guy, even from, you know, really young age, I was always interested in computers and took all the computer classes I could in middle school and high school. I ended up getting involved in uh, a friend of mine was having some issues with his PC. This was early 2000s. I, I want to say right around 2000, 2001. I ended up uh, doing some repairs on his computer, uh, you know, cleaning it up, removing spyware, that kind of thing. And got really interested in maybe making a little bit of a business model out of that. And I, I started my own little uh, small PC repair business. And I ended up working with a lot of different folks in the, the regional area here in Wisconsin and you know, just cleaning up their machines, reimaging them, things like that. And uh, that really got me interested in that. I pursued uh, from that point. Uh, I had a little bit of a hiatus from from technology from a professional standpoint uh, for a few years and then ended up getting uh, a job at a telco uh, where I was doing help desk support. I uh, started up, tells you how long ago it was, it was back in the dial-up days. I started up on the dial-up help desk uh, when people were having issues with their internet, uh, kind of troubleshooting and helping them out there. And then was able to get uh, moved over to the uh, DSL uh, high-speed line and then also the the web hosting. I kind of started moving in that direction as well. It's interesting right off, <laughs> right away that you were in kind of the the on the PC hardware side. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that, and, and you know this might or might not be true for you, um, that there's a lot of crossover between gadget people and PC builders and like other groups like uh i remembered uh that your your twitter handle is import car guy mm -hmm. do you see a lot of crossover in attitude towards pc building and like um import car like uh modifications and you know aftermarket add-ons those kinds of things yeah i mean i know a lot of people out in the technology world that do a lot of that same stuff they they're building their own pcs they're building gaming rigs and nowadays it's building vr rigs and then they're they're modifying their cars. It always seems to be something that goes together along with, you know, there's a lot of folks in the technology community that are also musicians, which I, I play guitar. So it, it's kind of funny as you get more uh, networked and talk to more people in the community, how much we really do have in common. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it's funny. I, it, it just struck me. I think I thought of you um, when I read this article about the crossover between PC builders and people who build and modify their own AR-15s, the, um, the, <laughs> the, the rifle. And it was like this perfect, oh, here's the base, and then here's all these accessories that you can hang off of it. And I was like, oh, that, that reminds me of like car guys too. And then it reminded me of you. So just thought I'd uh, ask that question. I, it, it is good to get confirmation on that though. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have a lot of that, I think, same mindset. Yeah, we come from the same similar backgrounds. Actually, a lot of the car stuff 
happened. I actually used to work on cars as a living before I got involved in technology. So I was, you know, working on cars, doing exhaust systems, alignments, tires, batteries, oil changes, that kind of thing. So kind of kind of made that switch. But from the what's what's dirtier? Is it opening up old PCs or opening up cars? <laughs> it depends on the environment. I've had some pretty nasty PCs in my day back in manufacturing where uh, my my most recent job where we had some machines that were just covered in paper dust and just nasty. Um, my worst story from an automotive standpoint is I had to, in the middle of winter one time, I had to replace an exhaust system because somebody had hit a deer. Uh, that's a common thing here in Wisconsin. And it was one of the nastiest jobs I've ever had to do in my entire life. We, we ended up, uh, it was the middle of winter and it was frozen at first. So as I'm starting to work on it, I didn't smell anything, but as it, as the car warmed up, it got rather gruesome. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Is that worse than the, uh, tiny tots dirty diaper or better? Ooh. As a parent. Yeah. <laughs> that's a tough one. That's a close call there. Did I tell you about the guys I once hit a deer with my Intel Nook? What? Yeah, I just made that up. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that never happened. Um, yeah, any chance to talk about my Intel Nook? That's that's the extent of my PC building these days. Like I got Nick with that one. He had to go on mute. Nice. Yeah, so where were we? We were talking about the telco job. Uh, so I, I ended up doing that for about a year and I, uh, for some family personal reasons, had to step away from that job. And I ended up uh, back in a uh, role where I was doing kind of customer service uh, related things. And um, at that particular employer, they were an outsourcing company. Uh, they ended up needing a new network technician. And I knew the guy that was in the role at the time. And he's like, you should really apply for this. I think you'd be good at it. And, you know, with, with my background, I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely what I want to do. I don't want to be <laughs> doing this customer service stuff. Um, so we ended up having, you know, several interviews. I got the role and it, it was, it was pretty sweet because I got to work with a good friend at the same time. Mm. Uh, and we both were actually, again, both car enthusiasts. Um, he had a modded uh, CRX and an S2000 and some other pretty sweet rides. And, um, so I grew a lot and matured a lot in that role, and he ended up leaving about a year after I got in that role. He ended up getting a promotion to a uh, network administrator role. Hmm. And it, it was at that time that, this was back in 2008, it was at that time that he told me about, at his new job, we kept in touch about VMware, and that was the first time that I ever heard about VMware. And he was telling me about how you know, you can have a virtual machine up and you can vMotion it to another host and you don't have any outage. And he was explaining to me how DRS worked and he was explaining DPM and I just, I was blown away. I'm like, that's incredible. That sounds like the future. That's something that I want to get involved in and learn more about. So. Yeah, all those things sound like magic when they're first yeah. explained to you. Like distributed resource scheduling, the idea that something else is moving. Well, first of all, just moving your virtual machines around and not experiencing any downtime, so it being completely independent of your your server host, and then to have something else doing that with distributed resource scheduling, and then 
distributed power management to have that thing, you know, like the some something is shutting down your house when you don't need them, right? Yeah, it, it was all just magic after, you know, 10 years at that point of experience in the server and the hardware industry. I was just like, sounds incredible. Uh, we ended up in that kind of a role. I ended up staying there for about seven years doing various different project rollouts, uh, mass PC deployments, imaging deployments with SCCM, lots of different cool projects that I got involved in. But it, it kind of became apparent that I wasn't going to be able to move forward in the company unless I was able to relocate into a major center. This was a, a worldwide global company, and they were very siloed at that point. So you had the network engineer that, that you worked with uh, directly to get the new network stacks installed. You had a server guy when it came to physically replacing the server hardware. I did all of the hands-on on site uh, because there were no technicians at that remote location that I worked at. But it got to the point where I really wanted to advance. I wanted to learn more about VMware. And it was very clear that it wasn't going to be something that was going to happen where I was at. So you were at kind of a satellite office then? Yeah. Um, okay. it, it was roughly 500 people at that location. So it was a big site, but it was still a satellite office for that large global company. And was the desire to learn more about VMware just because it interested you or was it both because it interested you and you were kind of tired of what you were doing at the time? I would say it was a bit of both. Um, that role had, because I was you know, the only technician at that location, that had a lot of desktop support and help desk and, and things that I wanted to get out of and move more into you know, um, the servers and the enterprise and the architecture and design stuff. So it was a little bit of both there. It was the fascination with the VMware technology plus those factors. So I ended up at that point moving to, uh, on a personal level, get myself certified. I ended up getting in touch with, I had already gone to several uh, VMware user group meetings, VMUG meetings, and was informed of the the problem I had was the cost for getting certified. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the install configure manage course and I'm like $4,000. I cannot stomach that. You know, I'm going to have to eat that myself. It's not job role related. My company was not going to be reimbursing me for that. Um, they were kind of tight with things like that. If it wasn't directly related to your job role. So I ended up attending not even a physical VMUG event, but a virtual one. And I don't know if you guys have ever attended one of those, but there's a virtual chat room, like a meeting place kind of thing. Right. And I ended up getting involved with somebody uh, who I still keep in touch with this to this day on the Wisconsin VMA group who pointed out the fact that, hey, I work at MATC, a local tech college, and, you know, we offer that install configure manage course. And he's like, and it's $350. And I'm like, sold. How do I sign up? So I, I literally had... I literally had like three days till the deadline when I found this out. I got mm. all their paperwork done, got it all signed up and, and everything, and, and got enrolled in that. That really opened my eyes because I was able to do a lot more technical deep dive on the VMware technology. I actually invested in a uh, my very first home lab server at that point as well. I, I purchased a Dell R610 uh, with 48 gig of RAM and... Uh, I ended up learning on that. And another cool thing about the, the tech is we ended up getting uh, a remote 
because I wasn't in the city where this tech was, they ended up sending me a remote set of hard drives where I could actually run everything inside VMware Workstation on my computer and do the labs and do all of the work right on my home PC. Oh, wow. So that, that was pretty interesting. Now, was that class delivered like um, as a live instructor um, that you went on campus for, or was it streamed? It, it sounds like you, you, you said at home. So I'm just curious about that. Yeah, it was actually a set of recorded videos that I watched, but I still obviously had to turn my homework into the, the professor, the, the teacher at that time when I got through the lesson. But it was all professionally recorded. The video lessons were clear. They had screenshots of what you needed to do, and, and I, I learned pretty well that way. And then I also had you know the pre-setup hard drive with the, the workstation environment where I could run through everything and, and learn it uh, really well that way. And then towards the end of that course, once I understood it a lot better, I actually had my home server at that point, and I started building it there and really learning it more in depth. And this was back in, what year was that, 2013, 2014 kind of time frame. Hmm. So I ended up getting my VCP, and I kind of wanted to stay at the company I was at, but moved to the VMware team. And... There, again, there weren't any opportunities for anybody that wasn't willing to relocate. So I started looking outside of the company. Hmm. And it was at that point that I literally started Googling anything and on all the job sites that had the keyword VMware in it. <laughs> so you, you had the BCP, the VMware Certified Professional. Yep. I'm assuming in the, the data center virtualization. Correct. And then so you started looking around for jobs that were local to you in Wisconsin mm-hmm. where you wouldn't have to move to a bigger metro area to, yeah. to take advantage of the, the new job certification that he had, professional certification. Exactly. It sounds like a really familiar story, Tony. I remember finding about finding out about the college course here in Dallas-Fort Worth where you could go and take the courses for the VCP and uh, similar, paid for it myself. It was a little bit more than 350 I think it was like 720 but it was the in-person five Saturdays and they had a lab environment you could play with. Real great way to get your certification, especially when you know your employer is not going to do it. So you must have perceived some kind of value in that certification when you found out about it at the VMUG. What were those people saying that it had done for their career that made you want to go for it? I don't know that it was anything that they necessarily said at a VMUG. It was just something that I had from prior knowledge, having friends that had gotten Microsoft certifications in the past. It was kind of a prior knowledge thing where I knew that the folks that had the certifications always seemed to have a leg up when it came to interview time. If you if you were an enthusiast and you were you were learning it, but you didn't have that title or that piece of paper behind you, it made things a little bit more difficult. So I really wanted to get something in the VMware field and I that was a, a high priority goal for myself to get that that certification out of the way to be able to make it a, a little bit easier. So that's kind of the way that I approached it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you could approach any kind of job interview as someone who had five plus years of generalized IT experience plus a VMware certification. So even though you hadn't necessarily done it in your day-to-day job, you had had to investigate it, maybe peripherally been involved with it, worked for a company that had it, gone out and gotten the certification, and now you wanted to make it a little bit more dominant in your job as opposed to, you know, I don't know anything about it, but it sounds great. Can you hire me? Yeah, and and 
I ended up getting a role at my job that I'm, I, I just left uh, after I got that certification, after I got the VCP. And in the interview process, one of the things that hit me that they told me, give me feedback on later on, uh, my boss told me that it really impressed them that I took the initiative to take something that wasn't required of me. Uh, I bought my own server, invested in it, invested in the schooling and, and studied and got the certification all on my own. When it wasn't a requirement, that really impressed them. So if this is something that other people are listening to, looking for that next step to take in their careers, I would highly suggest it. It's something that you can prove that you're taking the initiative and the personal time and money and investing in yourself. Yeah, not just the cert, but also the the investment in your home lab, because mm -hmm. I know we've talked about this before, John, but that's great relatable experience. If you can do it in your lab, that means you can do it in production. Pretty sure Tim Davis told me that one day at a VMUG. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I definitely have heard that as an interview question, especially from hiring managers, you know, just even if, you know, maybe a, a question, a filter question that's something like, have you ever had a home lab or have you ever, you know, worked on this in a lab environment? Do you have a personal lab environment for someone to say, I've never, ever done that is kind of a question mark. On the other hand, it's also like a privilege filter, right? For someone who wants to do better to first need to involve, you know, invest like thousands of dollars mm -hmm. in hardware, maybe like that, that kind of sucks as a, as a prerequisite. Um, so I would say even if you've, you know, labbed things, maybe not on personal hardware, but, you know, VMware, for example, has a, a learning environment that you can go, the hands-on labs is what they're called. So, you know, things, things like that. Oh, I've worked on that technology in the hands-on lab. You know, I've kind of thrown away the lab book and I, you know, have done demos of, of these features and, and especially if you can say, and I can show you that. Mm -hmm. you know, on the drop of a dime, like, so you can prove, oh yeah, we'll th throw away the lab book. You know, I've taken the environment and I've done this with it. Then, then that's kind of cool, you know, so yeah. you don't need to necessarily invest in your personal hardware, depending on the, the technology that you're pursuing. Yeah. Demonstrable experiences is the key. You need to be able to prove that you know what you're talking about. The other thing is, uh, I had never had a job where I had to do VMware before. And, and having that certification and having that home lab saying, you know, I've done this before. I will, I'm a great learner. I pick things up fast and I will do a good job in the production environment. Uh, I had no problem starting that role and, and diving right in uh, because of the experience that I had in the lab. And, and you're right. Hands-on labs is great. I'm, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, literally wearing it right now, even though your viewers can't see that. And we'll tweet uh, out the picture. There we go. Uh, but that was a really good, really good interview. Um, it was also, you know, a blessing because I had a company that took a chance on me, right? I was, mm -hmm. I was unproven at that point. I knew I could do it, but they didn't know I could do it. So, um, that was, that was a really good feeling to get that. I started there in 2014 and did a lot of stuff with them. A lot of stuff. Um, Literally a couple of weeks after I was on board, I was already swapping out switches in the main telco closet. And um, we ended up swapping out and building a brand new VMware environment for each location. This was at the time that I was brought on board, five locations throughout multiple states in the Midwest. So going from, going from no <laughs> VMware experience to right in the thick of it 
and and I loved it. It was exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, there were some things that I didn't like about the job, but you know every job has that. Um, there were some aspects where it was it was a smaller company, so I still had to do some of that help desk workstation setup kind of thing that I did my best uh, to support the people, but it was something in the back of my mind that I always kind of wanted to to leave behind and focus more on design and architecture. Did you have a, any other folks that worked on VMware stuff with you or were you the only one? I was the only one. Actually, my boss kind of knew it at a very entry level stage and he kind of managed it and then worked with uh, some partners that we had to to do anything major. And then when I came on board, he just handed it all off to me. And then I uh, ended up working with the partners on you know major projects and things like that. So we ended up, like I mentioned, refreshing all of the major VMware environments. Uh, and then it was about three years ago now, we were in the market for an all flash array. And we were looking at several different vendors and we had put in a POC of uh, a specific all flash SAN. And uh, things were a little bit different than we were told they would be in terms of like a compression dedupe ratio, et cetera. And some of our files were um, uh, very large art files and, and those are not really compressible. So we had some lackluster performance. I had been at VMworld. I had been involved in some of the early vSAN webcasts when it had first come out and was really interested in vSAN. And uh, we ended up putting that in, in the, towards the end of 2016. So that was a whole new learning curve. That was something that I had never done before. And in fact, I actually had limited SAN experience as well prior to that. So I learned a lot about storage at that job. I learned a lot about uh, the virtualization and everything else all combined as a whole ecosystem and how everything works together. And um, when we moved to the vSAN, uh, there was a lot that I needed to learn myself just for kind of day two operations. Mm -hmm. So I dived deep into all the material I could get my hands on. Uh, by that point, I was already heavily involved in VLOG and did a lot of network networking with folks that knew vSAN that were giving me lots of good information, like Jace McCarty is a good friend uh, that has helped me, a lot, uh, helped me out a lot in the past as well. So just kind of learning the environment, learning how to manage it, learning how to upgrade it, um, one of the key things that I liked about it was that I didn't have to learn anything new in terms of interface and how to use it because it's all built into vSphere and in ESXi. So I like that I could, you know, still do the standard, go into maintenance mode and, and upgrade a host the standard way. So it's interesting. And when you work with a technology like, uh, you know, VMware's virtualization platform, you have to learn that platform, but you also have to interact with the computing layer, like the physical computers, the servers underneath it, which is where I think a lot of people come from. Um, but then you also have to learn about the networking, you know, the upstream networking, the virtual mm -hmm. networking layer, and then you have to learn about the the storage that, you know, the upstream storage, I'll, I'll talk about it the same way, and then have to understand how you're managing that for each of your virtual machines. So you get exposed to a lot of technology have to interact with a lot of vendors, um, especially in a position that sounds like yours, you have to kind of manage, you know, multiple relationships at that layer. Mm -hmm. And then to have 
you know, one of those, you know, that platform vendor come in and say, oh, and we'll, we'll handle that too. That must have been a, an inflection point for you to go, you know, do I want to risk that, right? Because it sounds, three years ago, it was kind of a new product, wasn't it? Yeah, it was earlier days. It was, we deployed on vSAN 6.0. We did not deploy on 5.5. But there there were some uh, things that have, you know, since been fixed. Uh, adaptive resync is now much better and some other things that the product's improved quite a bit. Um, the product now, had I deployed the product as it sits now, I would have been uh, ecstatic <laughs> mm -hmm. compared to the way uh, things were in the earlier days. Um, and and we weren't by any means the first vSAN customer. But when we deployed it, there were some challenges and, and we got through them. And we even through the challenges, we never had any kind of an outage data loss situation, any kind of an issue with it. It, it was a stable platform that always um, provided the data and kept the VMs in the uptime and in, in check. So never had any issues there. Um, we did find that when we deployed originally the design from the, the vendor partner, there were some things that I wanted to correct once I learned a lot more about vSAN. Mm -hmm. So we had originally deployed on um, single disk groups. And we had a situation where we had a host lock up on us when we already had another host that we were upgrading as part of the, uh, we were upgrading from uh, uh, 6 to 6.5 uh, on the hosts. And we ended up with a situation where we had a resync time that took quite a bit of time to rebuild data parity on the, on the system. So in order to rectify that in the future, we ended up designing with the now VMware recommended dual disk groups right off the bat. We ended up changing that around and, and, and fixed that situation. At that point, then we had uh, parallel write cast devices. So, And then adaptive resync and everything came along and fixed uh, it even better. So, That's really interesting that you were able to... Uh, one of the things I want to maybe take a step back on and, and say, observe, is that you had some resources and people to talk to from networking. Mm -hmm. like with user groups, uh, maybe people you had met at, at the conferences that you had gone to. Was that a, a benefit to you in your career? Kind of, uh, you know, again, pursuing these, you know, technical decision points, but but your career decisions as well. Absolutely. Um, there's been so many different people throughout the community that have been influential and helpful um, mentors and teachers and a lot of them I, I've got to know through VMUG, through advocacy programs like VExpert, et cetera. So that's absolutely a, a huge factor in so many different things that I learned was the networking and the folks that I was involved with. Now, you mentioned seeing uh, um, the, the, the vSAN product on an early webcast. And, and I know that you and I met, I want to say the first time we met was at a VMworld not this past one in 2018, but maybe 2016? Yep, 2016. Is that right? Yeah, the first year in Vegas we met. Right, right. So how has going to conferences like that, you know, maybe not just VMworld, but I don't know if you've gone to other conferences, um, how has that affected your career? I, I assume that it's been a net positive, but maybe you can talk about your experiences at those things and, and the, the kind of echoing effects of going to them. Yeah, so there's this thing that we we call the V community, right? And and that plays that plays a <laughs> everything with a V. Yeah, exactly. 
that that plays a big part into it. So going to the conferences, I was able to network and meet people such as yourself, a lot of other people that were in charge of the products and talk to them specifically, bend their ear on maybe questions that I had specific to my environment or specific to a new technology that I wanted to learn that potentially could go in my environment. So there was a lot of changes going on at VMware in terms of all the, you know, the product cycles, new products coming out, things like that. It's very valuable to go to all those conferences and, and learn from people. Um, but I noticed the more I got involved in the conferences, the more my shift went from attending sessions to talking to people. So mm -hmm. the very first VMworld I went, I hit like every session that I possibly could. My last VMworld, it was as much networking as I could. <laughs> so meeting up with friends, talking about technology and and a lot of the a lot of the sessions, not all of them, but a lot of them are recorded. So that was content that I could get later. The thing that was really becoming valuable to me as I progressed through the conferences was talking with the people and getting insight on the products and that, that helped quite a bit. Have you gone to conferences other than VMware? Yeah, I mean, if you count VMUG user cons and VMUG quarterly meetings, I've gone to those. And then the only other event, uh, let's see, uh, several other smaller vendor events, kind of like more product specific type things. And then uh, I went to VMON last year for the first time, which was pretty cool. Oh, VMON. Yep. Tell me about that. So coming from the VMworld sphere, I had never been to VMON before. It was way different. You're you're used to twenty thousand plus. It's you know there's a line for almost everything. It's it's a big conference, and Veeam wasn't like that. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go and you're interested in Veeam technology, I would recommend it. It's it's really interesting. They have a lot of really good sessions, but it's a lot smaller and it's a lot more intimate. I wanted to say that when I was at Veeamon Chicago, it was. 2,500, 3,000 people. Different scale. Much different scale. Um, it was a good event. There was a lot of great te technology being displayed there. And it was, but the community was the same. A lot of the folks that I network and, and talk to and are friends with at the other events were at that as well. So um, it was a good event. Uh, this year it's going to be in Miami. I'm not going to be able to make that, obviously now switching to the vendor side, but that was a good event. I'd recommend it. Whoa, switching to the vendor side. What do you mean, Tony? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I got hired at VMware as an SE. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. So when is your actual start date? I start next Monday, the 22nd of April. Wow. Okay. So we're we're really catching you at the, the bleeding edge. Mm -hmm. Nick, uh, I think I talked to you in maybe the very first episode that we recorded, like during your first week, maybe we'll, uh, we'll start a, um, an entry interview series with people that are just getting hired as SEs at VMware. <laughs> could be, could be. I, I'm really curious, Tony, as you saw your conference experience go from attending more sessions to talking with more people, were the conversations more technical about what are you doing from a technical perspective? How does this work? Or did you start to talk about what are you doing for your career? I, for some people, it's different. I'm just curious how it was for you. Towards the beginning, it was a lot of technical 
knowledge and talking with maybe more specific people at different product levels within VMware or other conferences. And then as I got to know more people and interacted with more folks, it ended up being more talking to them as friends, doing additional networking, talking about more career stuff at that point. Um, and, the, and the more I got involved in the community and, and met my friends out at all these conferences all the time, the more it became who's going where. <laughs> because we all know how that works as you progress through your career. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like um, both uh, a lot of the things that you were doing, um, be it going to these um, user group meetings or going to the conferences, were, were all paths to your, your career acceleration then. Yeah, for sure. I was... Um, again, we were talking, I'm not obviously nowhere near the first customer, but I was an earlier adopter of vSAN at my, at my previous job. And that got me a lot of opportunity because a lot of people were curious about it. There, there weren't a lot of field deployments in this area. And I was asked to step up and do my first VMUG talk a couple of years ago. And I was very nervous to do it. And I, I, I I, I really didn't want to, but I had some really good mentors that pushed me like, no, you, you need to do this. You need to tell your story and you'll be good at it. And so I did my first talk and it kind of exploded on me that that one talk turned into, hey, do you want to do that at our user con? That was a good talk. And then uh, another community member reached out who runs another VMUG on the other side of the state said, hey, would you like to come up and do that talk at our VMUG sometime? I'm like, sure. So I ended up doing it there. They, they gave me some great feedback and said, that's one of the best community presentations we've ever seen. Would you like to do that at our Minneapolis user con? I'm like, <laughs> sure. And then then I ended up getting signed up for Indie VMUG. It just kind of exploded. I ended up doing like six or seven talks in one year. And one thing I can say is when you step up out of your comfort zone and do that, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And it can actually become enjoyably get over the butterflies and, and you can really have fun with it. Yeah. There's one piece of advice I've always um, given to people, you know, cause they're worried about stepping up and, you know, especially the number one fear is always like, what if I'm bad at it? Right. And I've consistently said, don't worry. You'll definitely be bad at it. <laughs> Insert Until swing dancing not. story. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ooh, this sounds like well, a story I need to hear. No, no, it's 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 any skill, right? Any skill that requires practice and repetition. It when you first start it, you're not going to be good at it unless you've had some kind of, um, you know, applicable side skill, right? So I remember, you know, when I got asked to do my first um, presentation in front of a group, um. I had all these skills from speech and debate in high school that I could pull upon, you know, I hadn't necessarily done, uh, what in that field is called an expository speech, you know, explaining a process or whatever, but, you know, I had a lot of public, uh, speaking experience. So that part wasn't as, you know, wasn't freaking me out as much, mm -hmm. but if you don't have that experience, you're not necessarily going to be good at it at first. So you just have to suck it up and expect, you know, accept that that is going to be the case, that you're on a road to improvement. And it doesn't matter what skill it is that you're performing. It could be your very first 
vSphere installation or your very first Windows Server installation or your very first deployment of a SAN, like the very first time that you do it, unless you've practiced it in the lab, you know, and then your very first practice run, then it's going to be bad, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to, you have to practice it. You have to do it until you're not bad at it. And then that is when, you know, things get better, right? I have a question for you, Tony. Now, after yeah. you did this talk and it blew up across the VMUGs, did it make you want to give more talks or give more presentations? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it and I wanted to get more involved. And I, the only hurdle I had at that point was my employer because my employer was uh, obviously still in need of my services as, an, as their network administrator. Uh, so that was a challenge there. But I was able to you know do a few different events throughout that year. And then uh, the next year, uh, they were actually even more accommodating. They were even more helpful. And uh, they even didn't, uh, the first year they did, and the second year they did not require me to take any uh, paid time off uh, to do the mm -hmm. events. They were really supportive of it. And they knew uh, that me getting better connected in the community and talking with uh, product managers and et cetera was helping them whenever we had issues, I knew who to go to. I had internal resources and it, it benefited the company. I'm glad that they saw that. That's a huge um, advantage to a company that I think a lot of managers might overlook that it, when you're giving back to community, you're developing professional networking that you know ultimately can help the company, the employer, right? Exactly. So can you take us through that decision to go for the SE position? Um, what made you want to do that job? Like, what was the process that got you there? Uh, well, as I just mentioned, I had, my company had become a lot more accommodating of VMUGs. Uh, and, and I'm going to tie this back in a second as quickly as I can. But essentially, I had a decision with my manager about career and, and where I wanted to be. And he said, uh, you know, where do you want where do you want to see yourself in, you know, that five-year conversation? And I essentially said, you know, someday I want to work at VMware. That's my goal. I know a lot of people that work there. I admire the company. I admire the product. And that's where I want to be. And it took guts to say that to my director, <laughs> that I don't want to work for you anymore. I want, to, I want to work for VMware. But he took it really well. And he said, you know, let me know what I need to do to help you get there. And he was really supportive. Wow. And, and that's what got me the time off to be able to do all those VMUGs the next year. Um, so tying back into your question on uh, on the SE role, it ended up being a situation where I wanted to learn more. I wanted to work for VMware. As, as we previously said, that was a goal that I had set for myself. And I had applied several times for a few different roles. And as you know, it can be a frustrating, long process getting hired at VMware. And uh, I had ended up getting, uh, I was actually kind of taking a little bit of a break from applying. And they reached out to me. They sought me out uh, this last round and asked me if I'd be interested in a, a VCN SE role. And I'm like, absolutely. Uh, it sounds really interesting. So at that point, I was, um, I did some interviews with several different community folks that I had known and, um, I ended up getting fast-tracked through the process through the help of community and, and folks that I've been uh, become friends with. They helped me out. That's one thing that they really like is community members want to see their own get hired and, and people they know are good people and, and know the product. And so 
it really wasn't a hard decision. <laughs> um, it's something that I've been working towards for years as a, as a career goal, as I had mentioned earlier. And SE specifically, what interested me is a lot of the things that I was doing internally at my current job was, you know, selling the solution and then helping provide that business value internally all translates really well to that SE role. When you've got a new product, especially at the time we deployed vSAN, a newer product that they weren't sure on, you have to sell that solution and provide that business value back to the director uh, to be able to cut that PO, right? To get that new technology, that new piece of shiny hardware in that you want to play with. Um, I was able to do that successfully in many different projects, and I felt that I would be a good fit there. And then just knowing what it's like to work internally at VMware. Um, it, the, the ecosystem, the, um, you know, from the top down, the, the leadership and the integrity that most employees that I've seen and interacted with have shown uh, really made it a place I wanted to end up. Just out of curiosity, were there any other roles you had considered separate and apart from the SE as a possible good fit for you? Uh, something that I had considered would have been uh, I ended up going for a solutions architect role uh, last year that un unfortunately I made it all the way to the seventh round and didn't make it. Um, another th another role that I find interesting uh, is a technical marketing role. There's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff uh, that those guys do, the content that they put out, the access to the internal engineers that they get, etc. Uh, that always interested me, and especially doing a lot of the the media that I do, the podcast, the the blog, etc. It's something that I thought that I would be I would be good at as well. Sure, that makes a lot of sense, and I could see, you know, a manager at VMware seeing someone like yourself as very valuable because you have a pretty big impact radius in addition to your knowledge and obviously your salesmanship. I mean, that's a big thing that internal IT pros don't realize that they do quite often. Mm -hmm. selling those solutions to the business and getting new projects through that can not only allow you to play with some cool technology, but move the business forward. Exactly. One of the um, stories that Nick's probably tired of me telling is I think the first uh, sales training that I went to as a VMware SE, we have this internal value selling training and um, I, you know, I went through it and I went, Oh, this is, this is why I wasn't getting my projects uh, approved. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, I never knew what my boss's objectives and goals and incentives were. And so I never knew how to, you know, I wasn't pitching any of my projects as, you know, uh, oh, you know, you need, you know, increased revenue. So if we do this project, this IT project, that'll assist the sales team in getting more revenue or, or you know, something along those lines you know, tying back to his incentives. It was always like, we're on version four and version eight is out. That's four better. Like, obviously we want to be four better, mm -hmm. right? And um, that's not how IT projects actually get budgeted and approved, right? They have to be tied to business value. And so it sounds like you were a step ahead when it comes to actually knowing that and, and having been able to do it. Yeah, and actually after I had already put in my notice at my current job and I, I was talking to my my boss about uh, the situation and we were discussing how they really weren't surprised they saw this coming and i was like well what do you mean and he's like well in every meeting with every vendor 
you're telling them exactly what you want and how you want it to happen. And it was very clear that you belonged on the other side of the table. So I'm glad you got your shot. So they've been pretty supportive of everything and it's been great. I think it sounds like you had a, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. It, it sounds like you had a, a great relationship with your management. If they were so supportive of you, you know, again, going to all these, uh, user group meetings to present mm -hmm. and they were supportive of you, you know, having a career trajectory that left the company. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That doesn't happen often. I've heard it said many times that you have people that are afraid to lose people if they, if they train them and promote them. And the, the retort to that is always, what if they don't leave and you don't train them and they don't know what they're doing and they don't improve. So it was, right. it was nice to work for a company that was very supportive of that. I also think more managers should have it as a badge of honor if the people who work underneath them improve to the point where they either have to leave the organization, you know, for career objective reasons or, or whatever, because they were so good and they blossomed so much underneath, you know, I'm going to say me as the manager, mm -hmm. right? Like that should be a badge of honor. Like I, four of my people have had to take bigger roles because of how good I am, you know, or, or how supportive I am or, um, whatever that is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, maybe that's just a, a cultural thing. And, you know, I'm sure having never been a people manager, I, I, I'm sure it's disruptive to have people leave an organization and need to be <laughs> replacing them. But I still think that it should be a, a badge of honor and not necessarily, you know, 100% inconvenience, right? Yeah. Well, I'm sure Tony left like a 500-page documentation guide on every change that's been made over the time that he's been with the organization, right? Well, my documentation was as updated as the projects were completed. So there wasn't a ton for me to do to actually close things out. I ended up um, having a, a short briefing with uh, one of the partners that's actually, there isn't any staff. Uh, one of the reasons I kind of felt bad leaving is there really isn't any staff left behind uh, to take the workload. So they're hiring, they're looking at hiring three different people. But um, you were doing the job of three people? No, we were, we were short staffed for a long time. <laughs> But, but yeah, um, we ended up with a situation where we've got a, a really good vendor now that we can trust that really knows VMware and, and knows networking and knows a lot of the different things that I was doing pretty well. And he uh, basically, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago, like a knowledge transfer meeting that was scheduled for three hours. And we pretty much said, is there anything you need to know? No, we're good. Are you good? Yep, we're good. And it ended up being a couple minute conversation. Um, he knew where the documentation was and, and everything was good to go. So I'm confident that I'm leaving things in good hands there with him. Always better to leave on good terms. That's fantastic. So now that you're on the other side of the table, just like your former boss told you you belong, do you feel like you'll be able to give unbiased advice now that you're going to be working for a vendor? I think that as a, as a vendor, you need to understand the best solution for the problem. Um, and it's as much as I love VMware, it's, it's not always VMware there. There's different solutions out there. There's different products out there. Um, and, and VMware doesn't do everything, uh, anyway. Right. Um, I know that there's a lot of folks out there in the VMware community that have 
unbiased advice of specific products and, and vendors. Um, I guess it remains to be seen whether I can remain unbiased. I, I kind of feel like I'm already biased because I've been such a VMware fan for so long. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that one. It's actually pretty hard to answer, honestly. I try as best I can to be unbiased, but I, I think there's always some that you're going to have to fight in this role. What do you think, John? Yeah, I agree with that. It's just, I think self-awareness is like the first step, mm -hmm. you know, to, to question the advice that you're giving. Am I giving this as a fanboy? Am I giving this as an employee? Or am I giving this as somebody who's trying to be a trusted advisor? Right? Yep. And, and there's situations where you you know you have to honestly say like listen this the solution that i represent isn't the best solution for this and i i just want you to remember that for the times that i tell you that it is right that you can trust me because i'll i'll say no and and that's important yeah trust and integrity is very important yeah how about uh any concerns about losing like day-to-day -day technical relevance um, by taking on this specific focused role. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to say, hey, you know, this is the the, the latest uh, and greatest like telco and, you know, WAN networking that I've worked with in my day-to-day -day experience um, for much longer, right? Mm -hmm. I, I would say that in the situation when it's coming to VMware, I think there's enough technical training that I'm going to need to know to design an architect solution correctly that I think I'll stay very, my technical chops will stay really good on the VMware. Um, in terms of everything else that I might not touch as often, uh, that's what a home lab's for. That's what hands-on labs are for. I mean, I'll be busy enough learning the products and, and busy enough learning the, the fire hose, uh, as everybody calls it when you come on board. Um, I'm okay with losing some of that. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stay as technically sharp as I possibly can, and that's uh, you know I just upgraded the home lab last year and got some other things planned to maybe upgrade to an all flash vSAN and have that at home uh, and do some more things in ho at the home lab level that I might not be able to do elsewhere. So I think anytime you move to an SE role, you're gonna lose a little bit of that because you're just not doing it day to day from an operation standpoint any longer. Yeah, you just, like, it's a fact of life that you can't be an expert at everything. You can't have experience with everything. And even, you know, if the things that you had experience with, you there are still things that were outside of your experience. So exactly. it doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're constantly, you know, you're going to be a jack of all trades and shallow, or you're going to be, you know, have a little bit more mastery and a little bit more focus, which means things are going to have to fall outside your area of, of experience day to day, right? Yeah, and that's actually one thing that I am looking forward to is being a specialty uh, SE, being a vSAN SE. I will be able to focus and deep dive and learn it inside and out and have a lot more opportunity to get deep on the product where as a more broader generalist, a network administrator, there's so much that I have to know that you, you can't ever be super deep on any one particular topic. So that's something that I'm actually looking forward to in the specialist role is, is having that time and focus to be able to learn that better. Were there any fears jumping into a specialist role from a more generalist 
you talked about the positives, but I'm curious, did you have any cons that kind of ate at you before you took the job? Um, I don't really think so. I mean, I've got a good background on the product as it is, you know, having managed it and deployed it several times um, over the past three years. I We also have a, a two-node Direct Connect RoboCluster in a remote site that we've we deployed as well. So I don't really see any negatives to that. Um, the vSAN aspect is something that I've always enjoyed, and it was a pretty fascinating t- technology from the get-go, and only as I've learned more, it's become more interesting. Um, as I mentioned, I don't I don't think there's any negatives that I can think of off the, t- off the top of my head for that. Sure. And just to be clear, I wasn't trying to create any doubt. I was, I just meant from a career standpoint, some, some IT pros that have been in that generalist, I touch everything at my company mm-hmm. and now I'm moving into this role where I only have this specialty is for some people that's kind of scary. Yeah. And I never felt any of that. It's, it's something that I've been pretty focused on for several years um, and I, I didn't feel any of that. Well, so you've been successfully hired now. You haven't started yet. Um, you have uh, um, a little over seven days before you actually have to report for work and and put on the polo, or I don't know exactly what it is that we say, you know, for uniform. But um, <laughs> do you have any advice for people who are looking to walk this path to, I mean, it doesn't need to be at VMware, but, the, you know, they're excited about our technology. They use it on a day-to-day basis. Um you know, they're interested in maybe becoming a systems engineer or sales engineer for that product. Um, you've, you have some time to reflect now. Um, you walked a certain path. Any advice for those people who are looking to walk a similar path? Sure. I would say one of the main things is get involved with a mentor, somebody that can help you, somebody that's done it before somebody that can give you some of those steps that you need to take. I was very fortunate to have many different mentors and many different folks that I know that are inside and outside of VMware that have given me excellent career advice. And one of the main things is just having somebody that can be that sounding board when you're, you're looking at stepping out into learning something new, where to get started, uh, maybe community involvement from an aspect of who knows this that can help me learn something. You know, I, I've been involved in, you know, people have asked me about vSAN in the past and we'll throw a quick Zoom meeting together even as a, a customer and just walk you through some of the basics and setting things up in your home lab. You need those people to um, help you grow, help you to learn the next steps. I mean, I would highly recommend getting involved in advocacy programs such as VMware vExpert, that's really interesting because you can get access to uh, software keys where you can you know, deploy things in your home lab that you might not have the opportunity to learn otherwise. Um, there's just so much benefit to getting involved and tied into the V community. Uh, I would recommend if you're un- completely unsure of where to start, go to your local VMware user group. Talk to people there that are deploying the technology you might be interested in. Networking is huge in this industry. Uh, and I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it weren't for the community and networking and, and mentorship. So I would recommend starting at the local VMUG level for sure. 
So maybe I'll generalize that then for people who are interested in, in making that type of transition, you know, VMware or not VMware, um, to get involved with a user group, mm -hmm. to, to search out mentors within their own company and maybe outside of the organization that they work for, it sounds like you're saying, and then, yeah. um, you know, start asking for advice and start saying, hey, I'm thinking about walking this path. Do you have any advice for me? And and maybe, you know, look for people who already have that job and, and ask them for their help and, and their advice on, on how to walk that path. Yeah, and another another thing that I never thought I would ever get involved with because I initially saw no use for it when I joined uh, 10 years ago was Twitter. Twitter is, mm -hmm. Twitter is huge in the IT community. You can ask general questions and whether you know, you're from Microsoft or VMware or whatever vendor you're from, people are always more than happy to answer questions, whether it's career advice or whether it's technical advice or you're literally in the middle of an outage and you're having some sort of a problem, you need a quick answer. Uh, obviously, you're going to want to you know, touch base with that particular vendor's technical support, but you'd be surprised how quickly the, the community comes together on Twitter and, and really helps each other out. So I would recommend joining Twitter as well if you haven't already done that. That's so interesting. That's, that's a great recommendation and something that I've noticed and, and only gotten involved in in the last like two or three years, which is pretty shocking now that I think about it. Okay, Nick, let's cut off the interview right there. Um, anything pop into your mind while we were listening to that discussion with Tony? I definitely went and looked up the Wired Magazine article I mentioned uh, that connected the AR-15 rifle building culture and uh, PC building, hanging accessories onto uh, things and all that. Anyway, it's in the show notes. Only you could work something like that in, John. I think we should track the clicks on that link because I, I really want to know how many people are going to go and read it. You always have an interesting thought, article, book, movie, video for for different things. It's fun. It makes me realize how uncultured I am. <laughs> but, you know, that conversation with Tony was pretty long, and I'm, I'm starting to get hungry. I'm hungry for the sequel, John. But our listeners will have to wait until next time for that. Just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful, and we're always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, to send that tweet out for the John White School of Mentoring because all the things you've heard today are official curricula from the school. Pricing and packaging to come. <laughs> All right. Okay. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore and our guest Tony Reeves at Import Car Guy. Signing off. Adios. Adios.